Welcome to the Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This in-depth one-hour radio broadcast features a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible, as originally taught by Pastor Chuck. Our study today picks up in the book of John, chapter 21, verse 17, as we follow along with today's lesson. Peter was grieved because Jesus said, are you fond of me? Jesus was no longer asking, do you love me with this divine, intensive, supreme love? Where do I fit, Peter, in the category of the loves that you have? Where do I fit, Peter? Do you love me more than these? Are there other things that are of greater interest, greater concern? Do you have a greater love for these other things? Or Finally, Peter, are you fond of me? Where do I fit? How far down the list in the interest and in the loves of your life is my place? Are you fond of me? It grieved Peter that Jesus would use his word, phileo, And he said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I am fond of you. He never did arise to the word agape. He does in his epistles. That came. It came with the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. But at this point, Peter could not commit to a total love, a complete love. All he could commit to was an admiration, a fondness. Jesus came down to Peter's level because Peter would not rise to the Lord's level. And it's always a sad day when we bring the Lord down to our level rather than rising to his. When I force the Lord to come down, The Lord always desires to lift me to the highest level. He's not satisfied until your cup is overflowing, until your life has experienced the total richness and fullness and glory that he wants you to have, that glory of just living in fellowship with him, close, total, And it's sad when we, through compromise, are satisfied with a lower level of living and a lower relationship than a total relationship. Jesus said unto him, tend my sheep. Going back to the first word again, uh, the Bosque, nurture, take care of my sheep. And then Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when you were young, you clothed yourself, you went where you wanted, but when you are old, they will stretch forth your hands, and another will dress you, and they will carry you where you do not want. John tells us that Jesus was signifying the death that Peter was going to die. 
He was signifying that Peter's arms would be stretched out on a cross and that Peter would die, as did the Lord, by crucifixion. And we are told that when Peter was in Rome and he was sentenced to death and they went to crucify him, that he requested that he be crucified upside down because he said he was not worthy to be crucified as his Lord. And so tradition has it that Peter was crucified in Rome upside down. It is interesting to me that Jesus here at the beginning is telling Peter what the price is going to be to follow Jesus, to feed the sheep, to take care of the flock of God. Peter is going to cost you your life. They're going to crucify you. It's interesting to me that when the Lord apprehended Paul on the road to Damascus, the Lord told Ananias that he had revealed unto Paul all of the things that he was going to suffer for Christ's sake. That's when the Lord called Paul to the ministry. On the road to Damascus, when the Lord apprehended Paul and he said, Who art thou, Lord, that I might serve thee? He said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. It's been hard for you to kick against the goads. He said, what will you have me to do, Lord? He submitted himself. And then the Lord told Paul all of the things he was going to suffer. The Lord lays it out straight. He doesn't say, now if you just follow me, your life is just going to be surrounded by roses and pleasant experiences and you're going to enter into a glorious bliss and there will be no problems, no more worries, no more difficulties. Things are going to be just so smooth and nice. And No, no, the Lord says, it's a rough road. The world's going to hate you. They hated me. You're not greater than your Lord. You're going to be persecuted for my sake. You're going to be brought into prison. You're going to be put to death. Even your own families will turn against you. He laid it out straight. The things that it will cost to follow him. But you see, that makes your following him all the more meaningful. It proves your love. The fact that you're willing to experience these difficulties, these hardships in order to hold on and have your relationship with him. It sort of cements the love relationship that you have with God. And sort of like with Job, even though he slay me, yet will I serve him. As when many of the disciples find, found the words of Jesus a little bit too tough and they turned and didn't follow him anymore, Peter and the rest were standing there. He said, well, you guys are going to go too? And he said, Lord, where can we go? You alone have the words of life. It isn't easy, but when you consider the alternative, <laughs> there's not much choice. So 
He told Peter by what death he was going to glorify God. And then he said to Peter, follow me. This is what's going to happen to you, Peter, but follow me. Notice by what death he would glorify God. Paul the Apostle one time said that he desired that God would be glorified in his body, whether by life or by death. My one goal, my one desire, my one ambition is that God might just be glorified through my life. And if he can be glorified in my death, great. Or in my life, doesn't matter, just that God would be glorified through me. So Peter, turning about, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, and he was following the one which also leaned on the breast at the Last Supper, the one who said, Lord, which is the one that's going to betray you? And Peter, seeing him, of course, John's talking about himself, said unto Jesus, Lord, what about this guy? And Jesus said unto him, If I will that he tarries till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. In other words, don't worry about what the Lord is going to do with the fellow next to you. You be concerned with what the Lord has called you to be and to do. Peter was saying, Lord, but what about him? Jesus said, it's not your business. I'm talking about you, about your commitment. And, and the Lord always deals with you on a personal basis. He's interested in you. And so Jesus said, if I will that he tarries till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. That's, that's your business. You follow me. That's the chief business. I'll take care of John. You follow me. So the saying then went abroad among the brethren that that disciple or that John would not die, that is, that the Lord would come back before John died. Yet Jesus did not say unto him that he would not die, but that if he willed that he tarry until he come, what is that to thee? Now, I would imagine that this rumor actually took on much greater import after they boiled John in oil and it didn't kill him. According to Fox's Book of Martyrs, John was boiled in oil, but it didn't really have any uh, negative effects on him. And so he, he lived out his, his final years in Ephesus until he was banished to the island of Patmos uh, because uh, the Lord wasn't through with him yet. He wanted, he, Lord wanted him to write the book of Revelation. And so he had not written that yet. And so uh, he was finally banished to the island of Patmos where he then had the time to write the book of Revelation. But uh, the, there was the rumor, and it was going around in the early church, that the Lord would return before John died, that John wasn't going to die. And, and John is saying, that's not what he said. He said, if I will 
that uh, he remains. What is that to you? Uh, he didn't say that he wasn't going to die. And so this is the disciple which testified of these things, and he wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. So John is saying, I was there. I was a witness. I know that what I'm telling you is the truth. And so there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one of them, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. So John said, Jesus did a lot of other signs that he didn't write. He chose and selected a few in order that in reading and knowing them, you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Did a lot of other things that were not recorded. It's interesting that there are a lot of aspects about the life of Jesus that wasn't recorded. Um, in those days, the arts were highly developed. Uh, the Greeks had many marble statues of their famous people. There are busts and statues of Alexander the Great so that we have a fairly good idea of what Alexander looked like. Plus, there were many descriptions of Alexander the Great, his blonde hair and things of that nature. It is interesting that there were no physical descriptions written of Jesus, nor were there any paintings made or any bust or sculptures or whatever. A lot of things that could have been written that were not written. Enough was written in order for you to know that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the promised Messiah. And that by your believing in him, you can have eternal life. All that is necessary for eternal life and godliness was written. If everything had been written that could have been written, there wouldn't be enough libraries in the world to hold the books, John tells us. So just enough that you can know and that you can have eternal life through him. Throughout all of eternity, the rest of the story can be told. God through the ages to come shall be revealing unto us what is the exceeding richness of his love and his mercies towards us in Christ Jesus. I mean, that, you see, it's going to take all of eternity for you to know it all. So enough is given to get you there. And then once you're there, you'll have plenty of time to learn the rest throughout eternity. God revealing the exceeding richness of his love and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Shall we turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 1? As we read the former treatise, Have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach? The I is 
always accepted to be Luke, the author of the third gospel. Thus, the former treatise would be a reference to the gospel according to Luke. Now, from Paul's epistles, we know that Luke was a physician. We know that he accompanied Paul for a period of time on Paul's missionary journeys. He was with Paul during his imprisonment in Rome. And he was a careful historian. He also was a Gentile and thus the only Gentile to write a New Testament book and he wrote two of them, the Acts of the Apostles and of course the Gospel according to Luke. Luke, it would seem, because he was not an eyewitness to the events of the Gospel, got his information through the typical reporter coming and questioning the eyewitnesses. He gives us interesting insights into Mary, which would indicate that he actually interviewed Mary concerning uh, the visitation by the angel, letting her know that she was going to have a child. And, And he gives us a lot of interesting insights because he was a careful recorder of the events. He is writing to Theophilus, who, according to early tradition, uh, was a very wealthy and influential Roman uh, officer. Uh, He came from the city of Antioch, and uh, he turned his basilica over for the church use. Theophilus, it is thought, bought Luke's freedom. Uh, Luke, according to some of the traditions, was a slave. And that uh, when Paul, who had many physical infirmities, insisted on traveling, uh, Theophilus bought his freedom in order that he might accompany Paul and take care of Paul's medical needs uh, while he was going through the rigors of uh, extensive traveling and taking the gospel on into uh, Asia Minor and, of course, on over into Greece and to Rome. So um, there are other stories that Theophilus uh, was not really a person at all, uh, or that was not his name, uh, that uh, Paul, or that Luke rather, gave him sort of this pseudonym. The word means lover of God, theos phileo. And uh, so to hide his identity, he just called him a lover of God. I don't know how accurate that is, but I like it. Uh, I like to think that this is addressed to all lovers of God. And thus, uh, you can take it quite personally. Uh, If you are a lover of God, this was written for your benefit and for your information. The former treatise, The Gospel of Luke, was the beginning of the life of Christ and his ministry until the time that he was ascended into heaven and the last 
verse of Luke's gospel is the ascension of Jesus into heaven as he went with his disciples as far as the Mount of Olives and then he ascended into heaven. In the 10th verse here, we have also the account of the ascension. And so the first few verses of Acts are equivalent to the last verses of Luke. Uh, So he sort of gives you a little bridge between the last few verses of Luke and the first few verses of Acts. In the gospel according to Luke, uh, Jesus said to his disciples, Now tarry ye in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Here he has Jesus saying, Now wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard of me, for John indeed did baptize you with water. You're going to be baptized in a, with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So uh, then the story of the ascension and then the Acts of the Apostles carries the story then on after the ascension of Jesus into heaven. So the former treatise, I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. The Gospel of Luke is the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. The Acts of the Apostles is the continuation of the ministry of Jesus. But notice in verse 2, of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. That is the day that he ascended into heaven. Now after that, after what? After his ascension into heaven, he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. So the Acts of the Apostles is the continued work of Jesus through the apostles who have been anointed by the Holy Spirit. So what Luke is saying is that the ministry of Jesus did not end with his ascension. Jesus continues to heal. Jesus continues to work. He continues to pour forth his grace and his mercy and his love, only now he is doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit through the apostles that he had chosen. So it is the continued work of Jesus that we have in the book of Acts through the lives of the apostles. In that sense, the book of Acts is an open-ended book because the Lord continues to work to the present day working through people who have been filled and overflowing with the Holy Spirit, the Lord continues his work to the present day, and thus the final chapter has not yet been written on the book of Acts. The Lord still works. Speaking of the apostles, he said, to whom he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. If we are to put any credence to our jurisprudence system that facts can be determined by the 
witness or testimony of eyewitnesses. That if two or three people will bear witness that on a certain date they saw a certain event take place, and if they make this testimony under oath concerning perjury, if there are sufficient witnesses to give the accounts, their accounts cooperate, then it is determined by the courts that that is an actual fact. And so that is the way facts are determined in our system of justice. It's the basis of our whole jurisprudence system, the ascertaining of facts by the witness of those who saw the events and they're declaring uh, the truthfulness of their witness under penalty of perjury. Jesus appeared after his resurrection, first to Mary Magdalene, then to the other women, then to Peter, then to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and that first Sunday night to the apostles, the ten of them, Judas not being, I mean, Thomas not being present. The following Sunday night, he appeared unto them again. Thomas was present. Uh, We have the account in the last chapter of the Gospel of John of his appearance to seven of the disciples uh, there in Galilee. He appeared at another time to James, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. And Paul tells us that he appeared to over 500 people at one time. He was showing to them that he was alive and that he was not a phantom or a spirit. Uh, He said, give me something to eat. And he ate uh, some fish and some honey with them to show that he wasn't a ghost or a spirit. Uh, And he said, a spirit doesn't have flesh and a body as you see that I have. Touch me, feel. And so they handled him, they touched him to realize that he wasn't just an apparition, just a spirit, but he had risen bodily from the dead. And so uh, he showed himself alive after his death by many infallible proofs The men who saw him bore witness to the fact that they had seen the resurrected Lord. And for the most part, they gave their lives as martyrs because of their witness. So if he had not risen from the dead, surely when it came down to their very life, they would have confessed to a fraud to save their own skin. But to a man, they suffered violent deaths, maintaining that their story was true, that Jesus is alive, they had seen him. Now, he appeared to his disciples, showing himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them, for 40 days. So that would take us up to within three days, uh, I beg your pardon, takes you within seven days of the Feast of Pentecost. 
The Feast of Pentecost takes place 50 days after the beginning of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, which takes place the day after the Passover. Jesus was crucified on the Passover. He was three days and three nights in the grave. And then after his resurrection, he was seen by his disciples over a period of 40 days. So it's just about a week away from the Feast of Pentecost. And I point that out now to bring it to your attention later. And he was speaking to them of things that pertain to the kingdom of God. Now, through his ministry, he was talking to them about the kingdom of God. The world is under the kingdom of darkness. And darkness reigns in the kingdom of men. The world is under Satan's power. The world system is Satan's system. Jesus came to redeem the world from the power and the hold of Satan. Satan, when Jesus came, took him up to a high mountain, showed him the kingdoms of the world, and offered to give them to him if Jesus would just but bow down and worship Satan. Jesus did not challenge the uh, ability of Satan to do so because he knew that the world was under Satan's power. Paul the Apostle, writing to the Ephesians, talking about their former life, said that you were living according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air that even now works in the children of disobedience, or declaring that the world system is being governed and directed by Satan. And those who are following along with the world today, unbeknownst to them, their life is actually under the control of Satan. Their concepts, their ideas, their value systems are governed by Satan. And it's very obvious that in the world today, that is the case. Uh, as we hear the media and all, we realize that they are not espousing at all a Christian-based system of morality, but they are advocating, espousing a, a uh, morality that is far beneath and below what is the Christian beliefs as far as morality is concerned. So here Jesus is talking about the day that God's kingdom is going to come. God's will is going to be done here on the earth as it is in heaven. And he told the disciples that they should pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And what a glorious day that's going to be when Jesus comes to establish the kingdom of God on the earth and righteousness will cover the earth as waters cover the sea, where the kingdom of God will be established and men will live together in love, in peace. 
There will be no war. As the prophet said, they will beat their spears into pruning hooks and their, or their swords into pruning hooks and their, uh, they will study war no more. The glorious day when God's kingdom shall come. So Jesus was talking to them about the coming kingdom of God. And he was assembled with them, verse 4, and he commanded that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but they were to wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, you have heard of me. This promise of the Father to which Jesus is referring is found in Joel chapter 2, where Joel declares that in the last days, saith the Lord, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also upon my servants and my handmaidens will I pour out of my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire, pillars of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So the promise of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon everyone. Now during the Old Testament period, the Holy Spirit was only poured out on certain individuals. The Holy Spirit was upon Moses and giving to him the capacity to lead the people. But when the burden became too heavy, you see, when people had a grievance against someone else, they would come to Moses to get a judgment. And so from morning till evening, Moses would be sitting there, and there'd be a long line of people waiting to get to Moses to say, now, my neighbor borrowed my shovel, and he didn't turn it back, you know, and I want you to give me a, a decree that he has to return my shovel. And, and Moses was just daily, all day long, making these kind of decisions, and naturally, it was just worrying him out. So his father-in-law said, hey, you're going to kill yourself, son. You can't do this. You need to get some help. And so the Lord told Moses to take 70 elders the, uh, from each of the tribes and to bring them into the tabernacle and that God would take the spirit that he had put upon Moses and he had put it upon these 70 men so that they would help Moses in making the decisions and the judgments. And they would hear the cases and they would make the judgments and if they weren't able to make a judgment, then they would bring it to Moses uh, so that Moses would not be wearied and worn out by uh, daily listening to all of the problems of everybody who wanted an audience with him. And remember, there was over a million people that were led out of Egypt. So it, you can imagine how difficult that was. So... Moses gathered the 70 there in the tabernacle and the Holy Spirit descended upon them and they began to prophesy, which was the sign in the Old Testament of the 
empowering by the Spirit. It was uh, the gift of prophecy. Uh, when uh, the Spirit of God came upon Saul, he began to prophesy, and the people realized that uh, the Spirit was upon him, and they had a proverb, is Saul one of the sons of the prophets? Now, there were two men, Eldad and Medad, who were out in the camp. They weren't in the tabernacle with Moses. And they began to prophesy in the camp. And someone came running in and said, Moses, there's a couple guys, Eldad and Medad, and they're out in the camp prophesying. They didn't come into the tent here. And Joshua said, oh, my Lord Moses, do you want me to go and stop them? And Moses said, oh, no. I I wish that all, you know, of Israel did prophesy and God's spirit was upon them all. How easy it would be for me if they were all filled with the spirit. And, and, you know, we, we could get rid of a lot of this hassling and haggling and all if everybody was just walking in the spirit. And so Moses could see how ideal it would be if if God's spirit was upon everybody. We were all walking in the spirit. Now, as we're studying Ephesians chapter 5 this week, we're going to be talking a little bit about the walking in the spirit. As Paul tells us, to walk in love. And if we're walking in the spirit, then that is one of the characteristics of walking in the spirit. We are walking in love. And uh, so the promise was there will come a day when God's spirit will come upon all flesh. And so Jesus had been telling them about this promise in Joel. And now he is saying, wait in Jerusalem for this promise is going to be fulfilled in a few days. Now, as I said in Luke's gospel, he records it as Jesus saying, but tarry ye in Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. They were to wait for this promise of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon all. Now, that was a one-time experience of waiting for the Holy Spirit or tearing for the Holy Spirit. God was not establishing a pattern for the receiving of the Holy Spirit, though some Pentecostal churches have taken that up and they have what they call tearing meetings where people gather and they pray and they tarry for the Holy Spirit or they wait for the Holy Spirit. But that is not really biblical nor scriptural. Once the Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost, there was never again a command to wait for the Holy Spirit or to tarry for the Holy Spirit. Once the Spirit was given as a gift to the church, he was then imparted through the laying on of hands or by the believing of faith, the Holy Spirit was received. Because the Holy Spirit is given to the church. We don't have to tarry or wait. He is God's gift to the church and as a gift of God to be received by faith. You see, if you wanted to be tarrying to be scriptural, you'd have to go to Jerusalem. 
but tarry ye in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Now, that wouldn't be a bad thing, but it, uh, it, it wouldn't be necessary because the Holy Spirit has already been given as a gift to the church. So he said, John indeed, or truly baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days from now. Jesus is separating the experience of baptism in water from the baptism in the Holy Spirit. John baptized with water. Now, with John's baptism, John was the one that was baptizing. Water was the element in which they were baptized. And the issue was repentance. It was the baptism of repentance from sin. It was uh, the recognition that the old life is dead. We bury it. And uh, we are living now a new life in the uh, in the spirit, and uh, it was uh, the repentance of sin, and uh, that was the issue of the baptism. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the baptizer. The Holy Spirit is the element in which a person is baptized, and of course, the issue is love. Uh, just uh, the. Fruit of the Spirit is love. It will be that which is manifested uh, when a person is baptized in the Holy Spirit. You remember when John was baptizing and many came, he said, I indeed baptize with water under repentance, but there is one who is coming after me who is mightier than I am. I'm not worthy to untie his sandal and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is the baptizer. The Holy Spirit is the element. And, and I sort of like the figure, even as you're baptized in water, you're sort of immersed in it, and you come up just dripping all over. Uh, so Jesus just sort of dumps you in the Holy Spirit, and you come up with just, you know, flowing all over with the Spirit. And uh Jesus spoke about it in John 7, 37. Uh, he, on the last day of the feast, stood and cried to all the people and said, If anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. And he who drinks of the water that I give, as the scripture saith, out of his innermost being, there will flow rivers of living water. And John said, This he spake of the Spirit, which was not yet given. So that overflowing of the Spirit. So there is a difference between being filled with the Spirit and being baptized with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is an experience that begins when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Holy Spirit comes into your life and you are to be filled with the Spirit. As the Spirit is in your life, He will help you. The word comforter is paracletus and it is one who comes along or is called alongside to help. He will help you to live the Christian life. It is the Holy Spirit working in you that conforms you into the image of Jesus. He's the one that gives you the power to be like Christ and to do the works of Christ. That's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the outflowing of the Holy Spirit from your life. There's a difference between being filled and and overflowing. And the overflow is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's the outflow of the Spirit uh, rather than the infilling of the Spirit. That comes and it brings a transformation within. But then as the Spirit flows forth out of your life, the dunamis, the power, the dynamic that goes forth from you in touching the world around you. And so that's what Jesus is talking about. With his disciples, wait, it's going to happen in a few days. God's going to keep his promise and you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they were come together, they asked Jesus, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus had been talking about the kingdom of God. They thought that the kingdom was going to be set up immediately. In fact, they thought that Jesus was going to set up the kingdom. They were shocked when he was crucified because they were anticipating him to set up the kingdom. Now, their desire for the kingdom was not the purest because they were thinking selfishly of positions that they would have in the kingdom and they were arguing among themselves as who would be the greatest when the Lord set up the kingdom. This was an argument that was going on uh, between the disciples and it's sort of good to know that they're sort of lousy like we are, uh, that God uses people even though their motivations may not always be right. God will work and, and do his work of transformation and get us on the right path But he doesn't choose perfect people to do his work. He chooses imperfect people and he works in them to perfect them and and to use them in the accomplishing of his purposes. So they were arguing among themselves and and disputing over uh, who would be the greatest. And they were vying for this position uh, of greatness. And John and James got their mother into the act and uh, she came and said, Jesus, I have a favor to ask. And I said, what's that? Well, when you establish your kingdom, could my one boy, John, be on one side of you and James on the other, you know? And, uh, and because they were, they were interested in the power uh, as he set up the kingdom. And so they thought that he would set it up immediately. And so when he talks about in a few days, you're going to receive this power. Lord, is that when it's going to happen? You know, just a few days. Is that all we have to wait? Jesus said, it is not given unto you to know the times and the seasons which the father has put in his own power. It's, it's got something that God has determined. The time of the establishing of the kingdom. And it isn't given to us to know. We don't know when the kingdom of God is going to be established, but I do believe that the Lord intended that we always live in the constant expectancy of the kingdom to be established at any time. And so uh, to look forward to the kingdom, that, that's the thing that sustains us. You look at this rotten world and it's easy to get depressed and just to get you know, a feeling of despair and hopelessness. I mean, 
This is horrible, the things that are happening in the world in which we live. And there doesn't seem to be any solution or any answers. As Jesus predicted of the last days, there would be uh, distress of nations with perplexity. In the Greek, it means problems where there is no way out. And that seems to be the case today. All of these social problems, and there doesn't seem to be an answer. Uh, the whole problem of, of welfare, uh, it's, it's breaking the country, uh, but there doesn't seem to be any solutions. The problems of drugs uh, and the extensive drug abuse, and there doesn't seem to be any solution. Uh, the problems of the economy doesn't seem to be any solution. The problems of raising taxes, there doesn't seem to be any solution. The problems of gang warfare doesn't seem to be any solution. And we look at these things, and it would be easy to become despairing. But we know that things aren't going to go on this way forever, that the Lord is going to come and he's going to establish a kingdom of righteousness and joy and peace. And, and we look forward to the kingdom of God. So it is proper that we be anxious and look forward to the kingdom of God. That, that's only right and proper. It's going to be so glorious when God sets up his kingdom. But just when it's going to happen, we don't know. So Jesus said, occupy till I come. Stay busy. You don't know when it's going to happen, so just keep busy. And uh, know that it can happen at any time. So if Jesus said that this is something that only the Father knows, it is almost blasphemous for man to speculate when it is going to be. But Jesus, getting right back to the real subject, and that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, said, but you will receive power. Uh, their, their question was, are you going to set up your kingdom now? Jesus said, that's not for you to know when that's going to happen. But, the word but is a disassociative conjunction that ties together two thoughts that are sort of contrasting. And so he's tying together the thought with this disassociative conjunction. You don't know, it's not given to you to know, but getting back to the issue, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be witnesses unto me. We'll return with more of our in-depth study in the book of Acts in our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck focuses his attention on the power of the Holy Spirit. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order John 21 through Acts 1 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, we encourage you to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, all this can be found at thewordfortoday.org. If you'd like to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. 
And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure and join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Thank you, Father, for the records that have been given to us by the apostles, disciples, and those men of the first century who have left for us a record of the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and his resurrection from the dead so that we, Lord, have come to a faith in Jesus Christ. We believe that he is the Son of God and that he died for our sins and that he rose for our justification and he lives to make intercession for us. Lord, we thank you that you so loved us that you gave your only begotten Son who taught us to love. Help us, Lord, to prove our love in obeying his commands that we might love you, Lord, with all of our hearts, all of our soul, all of our mind, and that we might love one another even as you loved us, that our lives, Lord, will be pleasing unto you and that you will receive praise through our obedience and our love. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. It is my great pleasure to present Pastor Chuck's commentary on the book of Acts. The Acts of the Apostles is an open-ended book. Jesus continues even to the present day to work in the lives of people throughout the world through those who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. This book also includes a special foreword written by Pastor John Corson. We studied the book of Acts, but we never saw the book of Acts. But we were seeing the moving of the Holy Holy Spirit, Calvary Chapel family, may you always be known as a people who pray in Jesus' name, that it would be Jesus Christ, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. May the Jesus movement continue on. To order a copy of Pastor Chuck's book, The Acts Commentary, please call the word for today at 1-800-272-9673 or visit us online to read a sneak preview of the book by visiting thewordfortoday.org.